Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Judy's father was a great lover of Dixieland jazz music. And Judy's parents, when her father was still among us, would plan two or three trips a year where they would go to uh, some destination like Fresno, and they would spend three or four days just listening to Dixieland jazz music at these uh, jazz festivals. Now, it wasn't modern jazz, it was Dixieland jazz. And I like Dixieland jazz, I guess, about as much as the next person. Uh, but after about 20 minutes, I've had enough of Dixieland jazz for a while, and I know I'm going to get some letters and emails for having said that just now, but that's how it is. And so Judy said, hey, it's the day after Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. Would you like to come with me down to San Diego and see my folks, and we'll go to the jazz festival together? And I kind of negotiated with her. I said, I'll go to part of the jazz festival with you, but how would it be if I rode my bike down there and got rid of some of the Thanksgiving turkey? And then I can meet you there, and, and uh, then we can, you can bring a change of clothes, and you get the idea. So we agreed that's what it would do. It was about a 108-mile bike ride. Um, and I thought, this will be great. Now, I had just been reading an article about what happens when people try to ride out past 100 miles is that they all, the most common mistake they make is that they start out too fast. They have a long day ahead of them, and so they need to kind of rein in the horses because you're feeling really good, and, uh, and you want to just charge right out there. So I had one of those little computers on my bike, and, I, and it, it will tell you what your heart rate is doing. So I decided on this one, I wouldn't even look at how many miles I'd ridden. I would just set the heart rate up, and if I got up too high, I had a goal for the first few hours, if I got my heart rate up too high, I would just slow down and let it come back down again. And mile by mile, hour by hour, I ch chugged my way down the coast, and I ended up riding one of the fastest times I'd ever done for that ride. And I felt better at the end than I'd ever felt before. And I came away with a kind of a life lesson in all of that. When you pay attention to the heart, the rest of the journey takes care of itself. That'll preach. When you take care of the heart, the rest of the journey will take care of itself. That's the entire message of the gospel in one sentence. It's what Jesus came to tell us. And he told it through parables and through warnings and through lessons and through exhortations. He showed it through miracles. He expanded the community of faith and tried his best to surround people with the greatest example of love that the world had ever seen. But at the end of the day, the message was that when we pay attention to our heart, the rest of the journey takes care of itself. I know that we prefer the sudden explosive moments of life. 
the dramatic moments, the exciting moments. Nobody wants to watch a football game where it goes three yards at a time on a cloud of dust afterwards. They like it when the quarterback goes back to pass, throws the ball 70 or 80 yards through the air, and the, some receiver sticks his hand up, and the ball just sticks to it like glue, and they come down in the end zone. We, we want to hear the big concert. We want to see the big moments. We want to hear Joe play the, that beautiful prelude and postlude. But what we don't, we don't want to watch is the 750,000 hours that Joe spends in this sanctuary when no one is around, making mistakes, practicing, learning, laying the foundation for the big moments. We talk about Jesus and we talk about things like crucifixion and resurrection because these are the big moments that everyone can notice. Even in our Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. There it is, Christmas and Easter. No wonder everybody just shows up for church on Christmas and Easter. In our Apostles' Creed, all we talk about is Christmas and Easter, but the Gospels, friends, are full of other stories and other teachings. They're the things that make the incarnation of Christ so incredibly important. They're the part of the incarnational ladder that gets lowered low enough that we can reach the bottom lung and rung and say, I can be like Jesus. I can break bread and share rather than breaking bread to hoard. I can open my mouth to bless rather than opening my mouth to curse. I can open my hand to share rather than raising my hand to block and to deflect. I can be like Jesus. I may not be ready to climb up on a cross and give my life for the sins of the world, but I can do the things that Jesus did every single day, and moment by moment is the way we are rising with Christ. In moment by moment, in the cho choices we make in our life, we are fitting ourselves for heaven. We are soiling the robe that will be washed until it glistens in the blood of the Lamb by the hard, gritty work that we do every day. Pastor Jerry mentioned Thanksgiving and Good Friday and what was the next one? Small Business Saturday? That's a new one for me. And uh, what is uh, Cyber Monday? Did you know that Tuesday is Giving Tuesday? Did you know that? What a country. They set aside a whole, out of 365 days, we set aside one whole day for giving. Good for us. What a disaster. When the Christian life is authentic, it flows from the heart work that we're doing. And it doesn't change from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday. Years ago, I was in the church in Moreno Valley planting a new faith community out there for the United Methodists. In the late 1980s, after praying and praying that God would keep us from war, Desert Storm broke out. And because there's a military base in the community, we gathered together and we had prayer that night for 
for our, our land and for our people and for the world. And some young man there in the congregation who had just started worshiping, in the middle of the times when we could speak out our sentence prayers, he said, God, be with the women and the children of Iraq who are about to be injured or killed. Bless them in their suffering. It really spoke to my heart. And afterward, a 50-year-old guy from our congregation, one of the originals in that church, took the man aside and said, are you a Christian? And the young man said, yes, I am. And he said, you're praying for the wrong side. You can't write a big enough check on Giving Tuesday to pay for that. Our hearts are either in the pocket with Christ or they're not, and, and, and I'm not going to stand here and judge who is in and who is out. I don't need to. At the end of the time, Jesus said, God will sit down on the throne and he will separate all of the people of the world like a, sh a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. They know, they know when they get older which one are sheep and which one are goats, and they just separate them aside. And you will know the moment of God's judgment what the sum of all the small actions of our lives have really turned out to be. But it's the small choices we make every day that add up to what's coming in the judgment. The coming of Christ as our king rather than as our suffering servant, it will not make a person righteous or unrighteous. It simply reveals who already is. And our hearts can be there right now. Our hearts can be living in the resurrection right now. We don't have to wait. How baffling to see a church that has a, a food pantry or, or a a clothing ministry or something else, and they, they watch as the, the, the poor people come in every day and they take things and they go out and they feel so good about themselves. And then you hear the same members of that church saying later on, I can't stand all those people who are on welfare. They're just taking from the rest of us. Do you hear the disconnect? In that disconnect lies the difference between doing things because we think it looks Christian and doing things because our heart can't help but do the things that Christ would do. On this Christ the King Sunday, we're called by the Holy Spirit to have hearts that reflect the love of Christ for all people all around the world. I tell a story about a church in Moreno Valley because people came to worship this week, but it wasn't in a church, it was in a mosque in another part of the world. And they died their own martyr's death in that place. Have you prayed for them yet? Has your heart been big enough to include them? Are you interceding on their behalf? We are seeking the way of Christ in the world. And as I would have said to the children this morning, it's every bit like standing at the top of a tall, scary diving board sometimes. But we can't simply be admirers of Jesus. We have to be his disciples and to follow in the way. And sometimes in this world, it's hard to look at. 
When Isaiah looked for the coming of the suffering servant, he said he had no form or comeliness, no attractive nature that we desired to look upon him. In fact, we looked at him and we thought God had forsaken him altogether. Who have you seen in your life this week that looked to you like God had forsaken them altogether? Was it a hungry person, a homeless person, a sinner? Did somebody drink too much at the Thanksgiving meal? Cause you to furrow your brow a little bit? Who did you see this week that was just hard for you to look at? Take a second look. Because you may be looking upon the face of Christ. Because Jesus said, that's the person. And as much as you did it for that person, you did it unto me. We all want to know what Jesus looks like. And if we take a second look, and all who are so hard to look at will see the face of Christ himself. And so, Christians are called to be like Christ. Not to admire him or to know about him, but to be like him. To welcome everyone, strangers, as if they were family. And to Nurture that family until they're in Christian wholeness. And then to spend our whole selves in sacrifice and service to others. We had to watch while the world taunted him, mocked him, looked at him on a cross. We had to watch while he sacrificed himself for the sins of the whole world. But today we remember that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And in every moment between now and then, in every decision, every word that flies from our lips, every action that we wring with our hands, every moment we are rising with him in the resurrection. This is what it means to be a sanctified people that our heart is completely filled with the love of Christ and we are like him in every way so that he can truly be called our Lord and King. When I started the journey toward public ministry, I had to sit down and write a bunch of answers to a bunch of questions. Theological questions, church history questions, counseling questions, preaching questions. Donna had to do it. Pastor Jerry had to do it. One of the questions on my ordination exam was, what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? What does it mean to call Jesus Lord? When I close my eyes and I hear the word Lord, I hear two images, two competing images come to my mind at the same time. The first one is the guy with a funny mask and the big black cape. <sighs> the one that everybody runs from and hopes and prays will never show up, the one that terrifies everybody. There are lords who have lived in this world who ruled by power and strength and might and terrified the whole world. The Darth Vaders among us. But I, at the same time, have images from the old Robin Hood movies and those kinds of things when King Richard would come home after a long time away 
a land that had ached for justice and righteousness, a land that had longed for their true king, saw his banner flying from the ship, and the word went out through the town, and sheets were hung from windows, and flowers were picked to be thrown into the street, and children went laughing down the middle of the avenue, and the great procession of the king was home. The land was whole. The land was healed. The land was right again. So how do you see Jesus? If you've seen him as somebody who is going to get angry with you if you don't do it right, or somebody who's going to punish you, and, and that you should hide from him, like a brother of mine who says he doesn't want to come to church because he thinks the church is going to fall in on his head. And I said, well, so far, so good. Why don't you stay away? We will, uh, no, I didn't say that. Do you see Jesus as some kind of cruel taskmaster? Might it not be time to remember that he is the one who makes our land whole? He is the one who heals. He is the one who's coming in the clouds will finally make the children laugh. And while there was weeping in the night, there will be joy in the morning. And if we think of him that way, might it not be time for all of us to do his will, to work his work, not in some big, grandiose moment, but in the daily moments of our lives, to be his disciples in every way, so that moment by moment we are rising with him into life everlasting. Amen.